Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demand, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demand cast. My guest is an award winning game designer who's worked for Sony, Disney, and many other companies on a wide variety of games for console, computer, and mobile. When not designing digital games, you can find him inventing role-playing games, board games, and even teaching game design. Calling in from Los Angeles, California, give it up for Andy Ashcraft! (laughs) How you doing? Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am amazing. Thank you for taking time out to talk to a perfect stranger. Sure. All right. So before we get started into the six questions, where do you want to be found on the internet? Pretty much the only place to find me is through my website, which is my freelance game business, Giants Dance Games. So giantsdancegames.com is it. Otherwise, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm I avoid the social media stuff just because it takes so much out of my day. And probably takes a lot out of most people's mental health, so you're probably doing yourself (laughs) a favor. Honestly, I wish I had pushed this back because as I kept researching, this guy's endlessly fascinating. I could talk to him for days. Oh, shucks. Well, I mean, I'll be happy to come back if you, but then you wouldn't be a perfect stranger anymore. I will make up another line. (laughs) (laughs) How does a professional nerd end up marrying a stand-up comedian? Well, you have to understand that she's also a professional nerd. Enough said. (laughs) If you you listen to her stand-up, she talks about games. She's read The Lord of the Rings more times than I have. She's, uh, She's dipped. She's dipped. Wow, Joe. So she's one was, of us. Wow. She's absolutely okay, one of us. Okay, okay. Well, never mind then. I'm... <laughs> she was just on some Twitch streaming thing playing playing some game the other day that I I can't even keep track. Wow. So this is this is a house full of gamers then. This is a Oh yeah. Oh house... yeah. We're we're what we, we like to say is we're everybody's favorite uh, aunt and uncle. Yes, <laughs> that is awesome. Heck yeah. All right, my good man, are you ready to answer the six questions? I will give it my best shot. I hope they won't be too hard. Question number one. When did you know you wanted to be a game designer? So here's how I got into games. I have my degree in a graphic design, and I took some animation classes, and I, my, I was attempting to get into the industry as an artist. Okay. That's where I thought that my career would go based on what I had done so far. But the thing is, is, as an artist, I'm not a great artist because I don't spend my time drawing or painting or doing the things that artists do. I spent my time making games. <laughs> well, okay. So, so here's what happened. A bunch of friends of mine, we used to, we used to do a bunch of LARPs. So, so the, and we're, we're talking deep in the dark, in the dork forest, right? <sighs> We had run a bunch of Sandman games based on the, the comic books, mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman comic books. And one of the gals that was playing in the games was, was she was playing Queen Titania, the Queen of Fairies. And, uh, 
and she was very excited about playing this character and she was talking it up. She was talking about this game with people that she worked with. And it turns out she worked as a temp secretary at a game company. And they were like, well, you know, we need a game designer, right? And so that's how I got my first step into this. And I had to convince them that uh, and she came and she, she gave them my information. And I, I con, you know, they contacted me and I had to convince them that I, cause I didn't have anything on my resume at all about game design. So I had to convince them that I knew about games. So I ended up taking them to a local convention, talking about board games and role-playing games and card games and all this stuff. And I convinced them that I was the guy and that's how I got in. And I designed my first game with those people and and three months later they went out of business so that didn't but but i got my i got my foot in the door and i had something on my resume now that's when that happened basically i knew when somebody said hey you know this could be a job because <laughs> <laughs> it never occurred to me that oh like game design as a professional job i thought it was all just like you know it was hobby board game stuff i was doing hobby board game stuff Look who won the pony. <laughs> right, exactly. You mean I get paid for this? My dad was great about this because he always told me, he said, son, and he always called me that. He said, son, avoid work because someday somebody's going to pay you to do what you're going to do anyway. Say that again. He said, avoid work because someday somebody's going to pay you to do what you're doing anyway. Wow. And he was right. He's right. Turns out I was making games instead of, you know, drawing and painting what I should have been done. You know, somebody paid me to do it and it was great. That is a crazy, that's a wild story. <laughs> nobody gets it. It seems, it seems like nobody gets into video games like, hey, I knocked on a door. I turned in my resume and, you know, I guess they well, do now. Was, but That was the next time. Uh, so after that ended, then I was like, well, I guess I'm a game designer now. So. I basically blanketed the, the city with resumes. Every game design company, every game company I could find in, in the Los Angeles area, I, I sent them a resume. And I got a call back from one of them. And I went down there and I was supposed to meet with their technology officer, chief technology officer. And he looked at my resume and said, I don't know why they sent me to you. You're not a programmer. I'm like, no, I'm really not. But here's what happened. We just signed a contract with this fantasy writer this guy named raymond feist wrote a bunch of fantasy novels and the only person we have on staff who knows anything about role-playing games is a programmer who's busy on this other project so we need somebody exactly like you so i literally walked into another lucky but i did it by getting my resume out there so i did literally go through the right channels it just ended up being another lucky just a lucky moment you put the effort in and you were rewarded yeah. with what you were looking for in yeah. a way you weren't and really, expecting. And I really think that's the way that works, right? You, you put the effort in to put yourself in a position where things can happen. Was it luck is when opportunity meets preparation? Is that, is yeah. that what that yeah, thing is? Yeah, I think is? that's right. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's worked for me. <laughs> Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? That coincides with a lot of stuff I wish I knew now. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to learn about game design. There's so much we're learning about game design. Even now, I've been in the industry, you know, 20 some odd years, and it's still just wide open. There's so much to learn. There's so much about 
the way people think and the psychology of games and the way people see and express themselves is is all there's so much to learn it's a good question really i guess i'd have to say to remember about player agency player that remember that players want to make choices players want to make choices about how their game ends and how things progress in their game and there's a lot of games that you can see, I mean, there's a lot of games that don't really give players much agency at all. But players really appreciate, given that, given the agency and given the, uh, the ability to, to make interesting decisions. Like that first game I was telling you about, Return to Crondor, the, one, the first one that came out, the, the role-playing game. So that first role-playing game, Return to Crondor, I look back on it now and I'm like, I'm pretty proud of it, but there's one major rookie mistake in it where... It's a party-based role-playing game. You're playing these characters, and they split up, and you can spend a bunch of time with this group, and then every other chapter goes and, and splits you to the other group, and, and the other group is going along, and the other group ends up... So you're playing with this first group, and, and you're leveling them up, and you're doing all that stuff. And with the second group, the second group ends up... This guy becomes, through the story, becomes like the avatar of a local god. And he's so much more powerful than the other characters. And this fell flat. This fell very flat with the players because they've spent all this time leveling up their other characters. And you've got this other guy, and yet you're still playing him, so you're still like in control of him. But what have you like? It just completely annulled every all the work that you've done with these other characters. So for a lot of people, it was like, wah, wah, you know, right, right, because you're going to so, use the god guy anyway. Right, right. I guess the lesson there is about, you know, respecting the work that players put in. Mm -hmm. I think I'm still learning that lesson. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, people change and as, uh, you know, it's still pretty, I mean, game design still fairly new. So I guess, you, yeah. I guess things are always changing and uh, you're learning more about how people think and the reasons they make choices, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, the, the amount of stuff that, that game designers are kind of need to have their hands in a little bit, whether it's psychology or graphic design or, you know, all of these things is there. You're, you kind of need to know a little bit of a lot of, about a lot of stuff. Another way to answer that same question is because I, I get a lot of kids from in high school who ask me, like, how do you get in? What do you do? What do, how do you get in? I'm like, flat out, learn to program. You're still kids. It's still easy to learn learn programming languages. Learn to program, get into programming. Then you can we can work in games. Or you can play in games, and then when you're done with games, you can go and get real jobs and make a lot of more money. <laughs> <laughs> right. At least you're honest with them. Right. <laughs> but it's true that you know we're we're making computer games. We can't do it without programmers. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Absolutely. Literally cannot do it. Question number three. What is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? And since you're a gamer, what's your go-to snack food for game night? I can answer the second one easy. That's, I'm, I'm a cashews guy. I like nuts. A nice mix of nuts is great. Get some good protein in there. It's good for you, right? Right. Now, my hometown restaurant, 
uh, I'm gonna plug. I'm gonna plug the local, the 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 little local indie, like you know, diner restaurant here in in North Hollywood. Magnolia Grill is great, and there's a couple of things on their menu that you should always try. One is that they do a really amazing breakfast burrito, and they do make their own hot sauce. Get the firecracker hot sauce, and don't use very much of it because you're not gonna need to. Oh. The other thing that that they do really well is they make banana bread. They make their homemade banana bread. And whenever you get a salad there, and my favorite salad there is is a, a like a Mexican chicken salad. I forget what it's what they're actual called, what they actually have it labeled as, but it's basically you know tortilla strips and chicken and and salad stuff. And it's basically a, a chicken salad, a, a Mexican chicken salad. With that, you get an order of of one of their breads. They make banana bread and zucchini bread and a, and a, and cheesy bread, you know, a, a, a garlic bread. But the banana bread is unbelievable. So get it. It comes, it comes ahead of the salad, so you can eat it sort of as, a, as an appetizer. Get it warmed up with butter because, you know, butter. Yes. And that's my go-to meal. Hmm. So how did you discover this little, this little gem? Well, uh, I don't have a funny story about that, but I can tell you that it did come from going to lunch with colleagues in the game industry. Okay. Like, you know, you find you know, like somebody else knows something else about somewhere else. And you're like, oh, let's go there. Let's try that. And you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Just one of those uh, serendipitous things that you just kind of fell into. Yep. Yeah. Socialize with your coworkers. You'll find all the good restaurants. And now that we're not, you know, locked down and, not, and working from home, we can do this better. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been weird. It's been weird to see uh, people, people's faces. Right. Question number four. What are you curious about? Almost everything. Specifically, these days, it's been about history. And there's sort of two moments of history that I've been super curious about, and I've been collecting books to read. One is about and they're kind of similar in, in weird ways. One is about the French city of Lyon. At the time, it was called Lugdunum. It was, a, it was a Roman city at the time. It was basically the furthest city west for the Roman Empire. And so it was basically their, like, their gateway to the frontier of Western Europe. And there is a 60-year period in that city's history, right around the year zero, so I, I forget exactly when the when the, the dates are, but it's basically it, it basically sits the sixty year chunk of time sits over the year zero. Uh, at the beginning of the sixty year period is when the Romans basically conquered the Gaulish people. There were hundreds of tribes of these Gaulish people around Western Europe, and they'd been fighting with the Romans for hundreds of years at this point. And they had finally there had finally been one mass battle, and they'd finally basically surrendered and said, "All right, all right, fine." And then 60 years later, the Roman Empire allowed them, or basically said, the Gaulish people are full Roman citizens. So there was a 60-year period where they, where they went from being basically a subjected people to full citizenry. The context of that is different from what I thought. So I thought, oh my gosh, that was, such, that, that was so quick. Why did it, uh, I wonder what was going on during that period of time. But in fact, it was really a long time because the Roman modus operandi was to 
conquer people and make them citizens as fast as possible. 60 years was a long time for them to do that. So there was a lot of pushback. So I'm super curious as to what was going on in Lyon in this period of time. Like what was happening to cause that 60 years to have, like what was happening during that 60 years? How did you run across this information? My wife and I visited Lyon three years ago, two years ago. We went to France. One of the things we wanted to go to is Lyon. Lyon is a very beautiful city. I really like Lyon. They have a museum there dedicated to the Roman, because it was because it was a Roman city, and there there's Roman ruins there, and there was a, there's a museum sitting there about with with this Roman, and that's where I've discovered this this fact. And there was this it was a big proclamation, you know, to make the Gaulish people Roman citizens, and the and the local leaders there made a huge bronze plaque of it that still exists mostly. So they have it in this museum. So I was like, oh, well, that's fascinating. And as I started digging into it, I'm like, during that period of time, they had this council kind of thing that would meet every so often about with the, where they were inviting the the most prominent people from the Gaulish empire. We don't know what that means even. It could be Gaulish people, or it could be when Roman soldiers would get mustered out, when they'd retire, they would give them lands out in the frontier. So basically, they were giving them Gaulish land. So these Roman people, these Roman soldiers would muster out and then get basically, they would get, as part of their retirement package, they would get a chunk of land out here in in France or wherever, or Northern Italy or in Spain, or, you know, these important Gaulish people might have been Romans, but we don't know. They might have been Roman people, the important Roman people who had been sent out and and were, and were basically, you know, basically occupying Gaulish lands. There's a game in here somewhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there is interesting that's an interesting bit of history. And yeah, there's definitely a game there. Some there's, kind of there's a game in there somewhere, and I'm trying to figure out what that game is. I, I could see it turning. Uh, of course it makes great uh it makes great audio, but I could see the wheels turning as you're explaining it to me. I'm like, something's yeah. going on in there. I don't know exactly what to make of all this yet. I still have to do a bunch of research. Definitely not what I was expecting. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other point of history, the other moment of history, is in the American South, prior to the Civil War, there would have been a period of time where people would know what was coming, right? They knew that Civil War was coming. They knew that it was, that they had a choice to make about whether to try to hold on to slavery as their as their major modus of generating income or they saw the writing on the wall give it up and try to get ahead of the curve and this is this one's honestly going to be a much there's a lot more written about this this history and there's a lot more about this 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 moment of history particularly recently there's a lot of of black scholarship that's gone into like like looking at these moments that has been completely whitewashed so we we're basically unearthing a lot of information about this right now. There's a game in there too, but I don't know that I'm the right person to make it. It might need to be somebody who's black, honestly, to be able to make a game that's made out of, that's made about this period of time. It has to be done right. And it has to be done with a, so much care and so much historical accuracy and also current cultural sensitivity to be able to say anything about that at all that's not going to like it would be really hard for somebody like me to do it but i'm super curious about that period of time and that period of time in history 
Thank you for uh, your sensitivity, I guess. Well, I, I think that's the yeah, right I, word. I think that's the right word I'm looking for. At the, at, that's, it seems like that's the least that I can do. And I always do the least I can do. <laughs> Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't? Okay, so I'm going to tell you another story about my dad. When I was about nine years old. Oh, by the way, is uh, this, this story has one cuss word in it. Is that okay? We're all adults here. All right, we're all adults. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I was running my mouth, nine-year-old, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and uh, he said, son, and he always called me that. He said, son, before you say anything, I want you to look around the room here and ask yourself, does anybody give a shit? <laughs> wow. I swear to God, it's a true story. <laughs> you, and you looked at him besides me? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know whether this was a good thing or a bad thing, because now, you know, in the, in the age of like social media and everybody's got a blog and everybody's got a thing and everybody's got a thing. I think it's kind of hindered me because I haven't wanted to do a blog. I haven't wanted to do, like, I stay away from social media because largely because I can hear my dad still saying, does anybody give a shit? Maybe the question is, what do I think that anybody's going to give a shit about? Do you still have an obsession with Hot Wheels? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but specifically, character cars. Mm, okay. So the Hot Wheels character cars, for your listeners who don't know, Hot Wheel character cars are the special set of Hot Wheels are a little bit more expensive. They're like $4 instead of $1. Woo. Um, big spender. If you understand that the Batmobile is the car that Batman drives, the Batman character car is the car that Batman would be if he was a car. Okay. So there's a line of these for Star Wars. There's a line of these for, for Marvel Comics. There's a mar line of these for DC Comics. There's a, a smaller line for Looney Tunes. There's a smaller line for Hanna-Barbera cartoons. You know, what would Winnie the Pooh be and so they've answered that, and they've created this thing. And it turns out Winnie the Pooh is a, a cement mixer truck with the front of the truck kind of looks like his face. But instead of the cement mixer on the side, it's a, it's a honey barrel, right? They're super clever. Whoever's, whoever's designing these cars is having such a good time. And I love them. I love everything about them. The Darth Vader car, like there's the, the little running board on the side of the car are lightsabers. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. It's so great. What are some of the other super clever things like Han Solo? So, so they've made four different Han Solo cars. And they could have, because Hot, Hot Wheels does this all the time, they just do repaints for cars, like, you know, like they take, a, take a car and it's, you know, it, it's painted this way. And then, and then you know, two years later, they'll release it again and it'll be painted differently. But they could have done that. But they did actually three, four different molds. They're wow. different cars all together. They're all Han Solo cars. So there's a Han Solo car from like episode four. And it's very clever. It's basically like a, it looks like a 1950s-ish kind of, maybe like a, a Thunderbird kind of roadster. It's that kind of like 1950s roadster. It has a single seat because Solo. Of course. 
that the windshield for the seat is the windshield for the Millennium Falcon. So it's got that sort of rounded canopy in the in the front. It's got some straps around it that are meant to look like his his holster for his gun. <laughs> the engine block that pops up through the hood is actually his pistol. That's awesome. That is awesome. Super cool. Right. All right. So by itself, it's super cool. There's a Chewbacca car that comes with it. He's like a flatbed truck with a crossbow in the back. It's great. And then when episode nine, nine, seven, episode seven came out, they came out with an old Han Solo. So it's basically the same kind of car, but it's a little bit longer. It's a little bit more beat up. There's no hood at all. So like the hood is gone. You can just see into the engine block. And that's cool. And then they came out, well, then the Solo movie came out. So now they did a young Solo, and it's a little bit shorter. And it's, with, it's in the brown jacket, and it's got a spoiler on the back. You know, it's a little bit sporty. It's like, you know, it's a sporty version of that car. And then they came out with the fourth one, and this one's a, the genius one. It's Han Solo in carbonite. So it's long. It's like a Cadillac. It's super long, and it's just a flat silver chunk of metal with all the like the etchings and stuff in it but it's still got the same basic shape it's still a single seater still got the canopy on the on the front you know it's, you could look at them all in line and go that, that's the same idea but taken in in different way and like like different takes four different takes of it from four different times in the series and that's awesome whoever's designing those cars is having such a good time and i am on board for all of it <laughs> that's awesome that is really cool <laughs> that is really cool at the same time like there's literally one exactly one princess leia car like come on come on guys this is my so now i'm, I'm speaking directly to to mattel Mattel, <laughs> get with it come on which one we is need, it we need some it's the uh, the white with the with the buns oh okay star wars yeah 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 it's episode four i mean come on there's there's so many great you know, Princess Leia and General Leia's. There should be. She had a she had on. an iconic look in every movie that she was in. Like yeah. she she always stood out. That yeah that that's yeah yeah. Yeah, Mattel's dropping yeah. the ball on that one. Right. I mean, a slave Leia at the very least. Right. Oh boy. <laughs> like, well, that might be a little problematic in this day and age. Well, you know, it's a car. What does it? What do you? <laughs> what are on those headlights that doesn't <laughs> hoth general leia you could do that indoor mm -hmm. you know when she's when she's in a green camo yep they're dropping the ball yeah they yeah that, that, it's probably the same thing when force awakens came out they didn't have a i don't think they had a ray uh, figure at the beginning like I don't think that was one of the first run figures and and like she's the main character and she's girls the main character but they were they were being coy about who the main character was that's they were trying they were trying to like like bait and switch us a little bit in terms of like who was going to be the main character and so but there have been three ray cars well, okay, so so, so they're just dropping three the different ray cars they're not two different but they're they are different. So they really are just slipping and and not putting respect on Princess Leia's name. This is not this will not stand, sir. It should not stand. They've they've done even worse with Scarlet Witch. There's no zero Scarlet Witch cars. We just had one division. How many cars does Vision have? Uh, he's just got one. Okay, at least he only has one. Like we right, have, right. we just had Iron one. Iron Man. Iron mm. Man is four. 
Oh, that's maybe five. Maybe five. Uh, There's a couple of Hulkbusters as well. Question number six. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? The future. I don't think anybody's done one of these yet. Please explain. All right. Let's say every, maybe maybe we tie it to uh, New Year's Day. Or some other something else, some sort of the future looking, right? Some 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 day where you're already sort of thinking about where the future is and what the future is going to be. And on this holiday, everybody everybody writes down what they want what they want to, the world to be like in five years or in ten years or in twenty years. And then that gets collected. And then you know on those dates in the future, they can start looking back and going, all right, how much how much of this has happened? What do people wanted to have happen that hasn't happened yet? Kind of like a time capsule thing. Yeah, yeah, like, an... let, yeah. Let's like, but it's but it's about our desires for what we want. What do we want to have happen in the future? And we do that like a time capsule. Yeah, and then we can look at those historically. But really, every year we just want to be looking forward. What do we want to have happen? What do we want to have happen? What do we want to think? What do we want things to be different? I think if we spent more time thinking about what we wanted to have different and have changed. We'd might be further along. Can't argue with that. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's a good. I, that's a that's a different one. That's that's one I hadn't heard before. That's pretty cool. I like that. I like you. I like that. Okay, you can call it Andy Andy Day. Andy Day. You know what? We're just gonna call it. <laughs> I'm gonna write this. I'm gonna write this down right now. Um, do you have a date for and Do you have a date for Andy Day? I I, I don't. It should be a forward thinking for sure. Forward. When, when's a good thing to, to, to look forward? Maybe I hate to put another put another holiday in December, but no. Maybe spring, spring equinox, maybe like mid March, mid April, March. I think because March doesn't really have much going in going on in it. So when we're like at the beginning of spring, like let's look forward. What do we want to have happen? Spring into the future. Yeah. Yeah. I guess people do their their New Year's resolutions, right? You make your deal, like I, I'm going to do this, but that's more personal. I want, I want it something to be a little bit more society wide, like forward thinking. That's a good idea. And by March, uh, most people have given up their New Year's resolutions anyway, so they'll need to restart them. Uh, so exactly, that'll work exactly. And they're probably willing to like, yeah, let's. I don't want to deal with that. Let's think about. Let's think about us. That's a good idea. Just a societal future pacing day. Yeah. Well, 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 that's way too long. We'll call it Andy Day. Maybe I'll come up with an <laughs> I'll come up with an, an acronym future for it. Day. Future Day. That'll work. That works. Perfect. And then on the spring equinox. That's a good idea. That, yeah. That's pretty dope. Well, thank you. The final word. I think it's really important for creative people to know their own minds, to understand their own biases to understand the things that they think that are true for no other reason than they think that they are true. Gotcha. Wow. And challenge all of those things. You might, you might decide that they are true and you're, li- and you're happy with them and you're going to keep them, but you should always think about them. All of these things are just lenses, right? They're like my glasses. They're just a lens and, and every lens will distort some things and clarify other things. And so you want to be able to you want to be able to switch glasses as often as you can. Wow, that was you're, awesome. You're, bask, you're basking in that one. I, I approve. 
Thank you very, very much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. And this concludes another episode of Demand Does the Six Questions. If you like what you heard, tell the world by logging on to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and review. You can also follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Demand Does. You can also send any comments to demanddoes at gmail.com. So, until next time, see it, hear it, speak it, live.